Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be taking your Bible and open to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we're going to continue a lesson that we began this morning. And for that reason, there really won't be a lengthy introduction. And so I hope for all of you that were not here this morning, I think it'll be easy enough to jump right in. But, but um, we will be missing some of that. That would be typical in the introduction. But to be able to cover the rest of this sermon, for time's sake, uh, we need to do that. It is good to be together. It's good to have the opportunities that God gives us in his family. I want to remind you again, because it is this weekend, if you've not registered for the marriage retreat, try to be sure and do that before you leave. There's information at the Information Central, and of course it is a I Still Do. You'll see the the pamphlet there, and uh, you can grab that, and that would be beneficial. Also, uh, we want to bid uh, until we meet again to Andre, and uh, he has been living as a, uh, with a host program with the Kefs uh, this, this uh, summer. And uh, we would hope and be praying about that there might be uh, a long-term relationship there, and that's in God's hand, and we're thankful for the willingness that the, the Kefs have in this. And of course, uh, Andre doesn't speak a lot of English, but you know, everybody can uh, recognize a smile and a wave, and so it may be a while before we see him again. Would, would he be willing to stand, or if you want to stand with him? And uh, everybody give him a wave there, and he'll be flying out Wednesday, and... Uh, all right, and, and we do hope and pray uh, that we can spend a lot of time with him uh, over the years to come, and we'll leave that in God's hands. Also, we're thankful that there are students from Tennessee Tech University and the SOC, the Servants of Christ Ministry, that's a student Christian ministry uh, just adjacent to the campus there. They've been a huge blessing to many of our uh, students here from Mount Juliet that have gone to college there in the past and will continue to do that even again this year. And we're thankful for you guys. We're thankful for what you do. Scott, Jeff Cope uh, will be available after services. All of our Tennessee Tech uh, students are invited to a supper. We mentioned that uh, in previously, but just a reminder, it's a supper tonight. There'll be a meeting and just informal time for you to also uh, be able to get to know them better and what they do. And so be sure and pass through. I think it's the lower fellowship area, but you'll find them. Be looking for them. And uh, Scott Jeffcoat will actually be leading our closing prayer tonight, and we really appreciate him as a minister and what he does in the lives of young college students. When we think about Ephesians, the fifth chapter, you'll remember this morning that we looked especially at verse six and seven, and we spent quite a bit of time in Ephesians five and six where we're told, let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, if we were deceived by those empty words, it would lead us to become disobedient children. The wrath of God, because he is a just God, he must punish sin. And so therefore, if we are led into the path as disobedient children, the wrath of God must be stirred against us or God would not be just. That's why his grace and his mercy is so awesome and so necessary in our lives. But when we think about deception this morning, we spent quite a bit of time talking about how the world has always fallen for the deception of Satan. And because of that, the world oftentimes becomes a part of the fuel of deception. You're not going to hear the world talk 
talk about how sex outside of the boundaries of marriage is a negative thing. The world is not going to own up to all of the damage that has been done to our society, to families, to individuals, even to health, even to mental health. The world's not going to own up to that because that would mean they were telling the truth. Satan only works through lies. I emphasize to you this morning, we're not talking about all this so that we can go to work or school tomorrow and throw rocks at the world. We're talking about these things because we have to decide who do we believe? Do we believe the world or do we believe the Lord? And so that is our plea tonight is all of us must decide what is truth and will I believe the truth? You know, it's interesting how by the world's standards, so many things tend to change, but by God's standards, they stay the same. So we learn the truth of God and we have a pillar and a rock to build our life on that never changes. Let me give you an example. If you go to www.dictionary.com and you look at the word fornication in the dictionary there, notice the number one list there is voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other. Now, I'd like for you to go to my grandmother's dictionary, and I'm living that literally. When she passed away, I asked for a few of her books, and she grew up being influenced by, I suppose, Guy and Woods. And if you remember Guy and Woods, one of the things he said you always did was you always studied the Bible with a good dictionary. And so my grandmother always kept her Bible that she read every day and a dictionary beside it. And so when she passed away, I asked if no one else wanted, I would like her Bible and the books that were around it. And so I have her dictionary. So this week, I reached over to her dictionary that she obtained this dictionary in 1956, but the copyright on it was 1953. And notice fornication. We have a very important word that was in the vocabulary of definition of fornication back in 1950. You see that important word? Illicit sexual intercourse. Now, you probably know what the word illicit means, but let me remind you, the word illicit means forbidden. It means prohibited. It means illegal. And so in our dictionaries, not many decades ago, when you looked up this word, it literally said illegal sexual relationships. Now, of course, today the world would never believe that it should be illegal today or that it should be forbidden in any sense. And they would throw that under the category of being very judgmental. And we talked about that just briefly this morning. But the fact is, we're not worried right now about trying to find out Exactly all that the world would say, what we're trying to do is figure out who's telling the truth. And so is the world telling the truth and are the dictionaries in the world telling the truth as they continue to change throughout time or is God telling the truth? When we look in the Bible, we see that the Greek word for fornication in the New Testament, and this is according to Strong's Greek word here, we, we see pornonia. And pornia is the word literally that means harlotry. Fornication is actually the practicing of what harlots do. Now, oftentimes, people that fornicate today are not fornicating for money, although there's some that do it, but they are selling out for something. And you just need to dwell on that and think about that. They're practicing fornication for some reason. It's, they're selling out for acceptance. They're selling out to be able to fulfill whatever fleshly desire they have at that time. But in that sense, it still is an immoral act that God, as we've seen today, uh, strongly condemns. 
So I'd like for you to go with me now as we, we are down there at, the, at verse six, but I'd like for us to back up to verse one and two. You remember this morning, we talked about that number one out of verse one is that we have to be imitators of God as dear children. And remember that dear children sets in a powerful offset to what we just read a few minutes ago of sons of disobedience. Which do we want to be? Do we want to follow the world? believing the lies, sons of disobedience, or do we want to say, no, I want to imitate God. God, what is your will? I want to be a child that follows you, dear children. And so we say, okay, what would he want us to do? Well, verse two tells us how he wants us to walk. And keep in mind in the New Testament, walk is conduct, it's daily behavior. And so notice this walk in verse two, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here he describes it as an offering, he describes it as sacrifice, and he describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma. Scholars kind of go crazy at that when they look at that because they're saying, which sacrifice is he supposed to be representing here? And what most scholars say is because of those three different terms that are being described, it's obvious that he's not trying to describe one particular offering or one particular sacrifice, that he's saying Jesus Christ fulfills them all. Listen, all of the offerings that were made, all of the sacrifices that were made under the Old Testament, Jesus Christ came and him being offered on the cross fulfilled all of those once and for all. Now, what does that mean in this context? If you'll notice in this context, it was about what we are to be. I want you to take your eyes back up again to verse two. It's a command to us and walk in love as what? As Christ did. Well, what did Christ do? He gave himself as an offering, as a sacrifice. What he did, he wanted to make sure, is this a sweet smelling aroma to God? And I know that we're not accustomed to burnt sacrifices and stuff, so we think it's strange to talk about, is it a sweet aroma to God? But it's not strange to God. In other words, when God looks at this healthy relationship where a husband and wife are completely and faithful to each other in marriage, he looks at that faithfulness that they experience as a sweet smelling aroma. It is a sacrifice of their life and of their bodies. And we're gonna to get to that in just a moment. But over here, when we see the practice of fornication, he would never say, that's a sweet smelling aroma to me. Instead, that would be repulsive to God. And so now we say in verse two, what is he asking of us? Verse one, he says, I want you to imitate God. Verse two, what do I want you to do? He's saying, I want you to love sacrificially. In other words, we're supposed to love as Christ loved. What did Christ do? He gave himself to fulfill the will of God because of love. Now I just put verse two in other words, okay? He gave himself he gave him his body. He allowed his body to be put up on a cross. He literally said, Lord, Father, here's my body. Take it. I offer it to you as a sacrifice. Whatever you need to do with my body. He even prayed at one point, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. He offered his body according to the will of God. God, it's whatever you want. And I'm doing it because of love. I want you to think about over the next few verses that that is the principle that's taught in verse two that's leading up to the very next verse that says, don't practice fornication. And so right before he says, don't practice fornication, he's gonna say, here's what I want you to do with your body. I want you to be willing to offer your body according to the will of God because you love God. 
All right, so what would that look like? Think with me for just a few moments of what would it look like to offer your body to God in purity? Let's drop back to Romans, the 12th chapter. We have to go back to there with this kind of language being taught. I'd like for you to think in Romans 12 and verse 1. Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the only opportunity that we have to offer anything to God is because the mercy of God has made it available to us. Thank God for the mercy of God. And so he begins this by saying it's because of the mercy of God that we can even talk about this. And notice what the rest is. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now what should this body be? Holy. Now pause there for just a moment. Old Covenant, Day of Atonement, what were you to bring as a family? You were to bring a first-year lamb without spot, without blemish. In other words, it was not defiled in any way. In other words, it was going to be holy. It's not going to be defiled, it's going to be holy. Lord, what do you want? He says, I want your body. Okay, Lord, I, I'm willing to give you my money. He says, you need to give me your money. Okay, Lord, I, I've, you give me the ability to teach. I'm willing to give you my, my willingness to teach. Okay, I, I'll, I'll use your ability to teach. And the Lord said, you're not listening to me. I told you, I also want your body. Lord, you, you don't really mind how I use my body as long as I still show up at church. You don't mind how I use my body as long as I still give. You know, and he said, you're not listening to me. I want your body, and I want your body free of all the things that would defile it. You bring a lamb in the old covenant, and you laid that body of that lamb in the hands of the priest to be offered. God is saying, I want you to bring your body to me, and I want it to be a body that is free from anything that would defile it. And I want you to hand it over to me. You don't slay it. It is a living sacrifice. I want it to be holy, free from anything that would defile. He continues there by saying, I want it to be acceptable to God and I want it to be your reasonable service. I want it to be your, your, your worship that you would offer to me. Now we're not through with this because God's not through with this, okay? But I want to make sure that you're letting this sink in. If we're really going to understand God's will, about why we should avoid fornication. So much of it is going to be wrapped up in the way God uses the word body and what he means by it and what he asks us in relation to that. What if I say, Lord, you know, there's some things that I like to do with my body that it's over here akin to the love of the world. You know, I love the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And he would say, you could use your body for that, but you can't bring that body and offer it to me as a living sacrifice. You have to decide, are you gonna be the called out? And, and notice this in verse two, Romans 12 and verse two, do not be conformed, this idea of shape, pattern after, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. It's a metamorphosis. We're going to become something different. Yes, when we were over here living by the flesh, we were probably fornicators. You could just fill in the, the, the blanks with a lot of sin. We, we practiced all of those things openly, freely. 
But we have been transformed. We stopped being shaped by the world. Who would do that? Somebody that's going to bring their body as a living sacrifice and say, God, here is my body to be used in your service. So don't, to, to be transformed and where's it going to begin? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we think about the body and as we think about it as relation to this, many of you probably already thought about this. We cannot study the word body as it relates to fornication without studying the last part of 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Eight times in eight verses in a row, we have the word body used. Think about that. Eight times in eight verses in a row. Now, one time it's used twice in one verse and one verse is skipped. But out of eight verses, body is used eight times. God wants us to understand something here. I'm going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. And in verse 13, there's a few sentences in 13. And on the screen, we don't have the first few sentences, but don't think you're missing it there. We're getting to it here. He says in verse 13, food's for the stomach and the stomach's for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now notice this. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Something powerful here. Do not confuse the term body and flesh. Most of the time when the word flesh is used throughout the Bible, especially throughout the New Covenant, is speaking of something very negative and carnal, very sinful. Usually, though, when the word body is used throughout the New Testament, the body is speaking about something that God has marvelously made. It's something that is a part of the divine creation. God made a body. Our body is a gift from God. He made it and he wants us to receive it as stewards. How will we take care of the body? Will we allow the flesh to rule the body or will we allow the spirit of God, the spiritual, to rule the body? And so really as we read down through here in 1 Corinthians 6, he makes a powerful point. And that's what he's going to be dealing with all the way through here. And, and his first point is he says, let me tell you that, that masterful body that I created for you. It's the fingerprint of God all through it. He says, let me tell you one thing. It's certainly not designed for. It's not designed for fornication. In other words, he's saying, if you are using my creation in that way, you are offending the creator. Any of you artists, you imagine making a beautiful masterpiece that you're thankful for and somebody else grabs that masterpiece and they use it as a notepad? You imagine spending hours making something beautiful and, and they just totally misuse it? God's saying, I have created your body as something beautiful and I have not created it for sexual immorality. I've created the body for the Lord. The Lord for the body. Lord, here I am. I present you a living sacrifice. You see, we have to make choices here. Is, are we going to use the body to honor the creator or no? Skip down to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. Remember, we are baptized into Christ. We become a part of his body, but our bodies become a part of his bodies. And so he continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot, which is the very core of the word of fornication. And then he, with an exclamation mark, he says, certainly not. 
We can understand that, right? God's made this body and he says, I made this body so that you can be in connection with the Lord. I did not make this body so you could be in connection with fornication. And now you're going to go out and you're going to join and think that joining up in fornication and harlotry is the way to live. Certainly not. Let's continue in 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now it's interesting here because he's using the language that's used in Genesis, the second chapter in verse 24 about marriage that we studied this morning. There's nowhere in the scriptures though that we can say, okay, that simply because two individuals commit fornication that they are married. I don't think that by any means is what he is saying here. Although there have been some that have debated that. I just do not think that it holds water here. But I think what he is saying is he's using language to say, this is the only place or a sexual relationship is to ever take place within the boundaries of marriage when the man and the woman are married and they become one in marriage and one in flesh. And so he takes some of that language and he says, you mean to tell me that you are going to become one in flesh through fornication, through harlotry? You see, he's using similar language to say, look how wrong this is. The world says, oh, it's nothing to it. In 1970, imagine this. In 1970, to those of you who are young, that's forever ago. That wasn't that long ago. In 1970, there were only a half a million couples in America cohabitating. Only a half a million in America. And in 2004, and it shot up since then, but the last numbers I could find, in 2004, there were almost 6 million. Listen, when something increases by 10,000 or 100,000, you say, wow. When something doubles, you say, that's a 100% increase. Listen, from 70 to 2004, the increase has been somewhere around, at least beyond 10 to 11 times. We're talking about a problem that is massive and just continues to grow. We're talking about something the world is not going to speak up and say, oh, this is a problem. And so then we as Christians say, well, what is the problem with it? Let's go to the core of what Jesus is saying. The core of what Jesus is saying is it's about your body. We can't expect the world to understand that or appreciate that. Tonight, I'm talking mostly in this audience to those that have devoted their life to Christ. We ought to understand who our creator is. And when the creator says, this is why I have created your body, you can decide to use it in the way that a harlot would use their body or you can use it in the way the Lord said to use your body. Let's, let's continue to read here. Look at verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You see, isn't it interesting that joining the Lord is the idea of joining our bodies. When we bring our bodies as a living sacrifice, and that includes the sexual purity, the Lord says, I want you to bring me a pure offering. Your body as an offering not defiled. And he says, then we can become one. You see what he's implying here? You can't bring a fornicating body to the Lord and the Lord say, I will join up with you in harlotry. The Lord says it's a defiled body. I can't join up with you 
and harlotry. It's a powerful, powerful teaching. So that's why we get to verse 18. Flee. What do you do when a house is on fire? You hang around, flee sexual immorality. Now notice this, powerful. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's not easy to determine exactly what is meant by that. But it is powerful to think that the Lord would single out, out of all the sins in the world, he would single this one out because it is a sin that is against the very creation that he made of us. We're literally taking us and we are making a decision to misuse us, this sacrifice. We are making a decision to misuse the sacrifice that God has given and it is, it's a sin that is against one's own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You hear the world say, it's my body, I'll do what I want. Christians can't say that. Christians understand my body belongs to the Lord. It's been, see verse 20, you were bought at a price. Our bodies have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, we talk in many ways in this congregation, and I hope we don't overemphasize it to the point that we miss important things like this. We talk about how important it is to get involved in ministry, how important it is to get involved in the work of the kingdom, how important it is to use the ability that God has given you with every opportunity you have. But friends, do you realize that when our young people, they go out in their day-to-day -day life and they go out on Friday night or they go out on Saturday and they conduct themselves in a moral and honorable and virtuous way, they literally are serving God with their body. God says, that's what I'm looking for. When we fornicate, we literally are saying to God, I know you tried to say it's your body, but I'm leaving you. I am yours no more. I am giving my body to this individual. I'm not being light when I say this. Can that individual save your soul? Can that individual build a heaven for you? Can that individual fulfill all of the needs that you have? Because what you have done in that essence is you have made that individual your God. You've given the divine creation of your body that God has given you and said, I'm leaving you, God, and I'm giving my body here. I'm not going to glorify you. You've bought me with a price. I'm leaving that price. It's sad. It's challenging. We all have desires. Those desires have to be restrained if we are going to be what God would want us to be. Song of Solomon is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, eight chapters. It's all about love and it's all through the book about sexual desires. The fourth chapter, they get married, but twice before the fourth chapter, they have to stop themselves and they say that we will not stir up this love until it's time. One time is right before they get married. Right before they get married, here in God's love story, he says, put on the brakes. Listen, it's natural 
God created us to be sexual beings. And so it's not the idea, well, if I have sexual temptation, I'm a horrible person. No, it's what you do. Are you going to restrain yourself because I'm bought with a price? My body belongs to God. Are you going to offer no restraint? Keep in mind this morning the point that we tried to make. Somebody's responsible. Fornication doesn't just happen. Those involved are responsible. I'd like to take you back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I know I've covered things quickly and I hope the speed hasn't made you weary. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, look in verse three through five. I'd like for you to notice that this is the sharp contrast. Verse one was imitate God. Verse two is love unconditionally, love sacrificially. Now, I think you got that, but let me just go ahead and put a conclusion on that point. In other words, we're to love as Christ loved. And so someone says, okay, how am I supposed to use my body? What did, what did Christ do? He gave his body according to the will of God because of his love for God. What are we to do? We walk in love. We willingly give our body to God, submitting to the will of God because of our love for God. Now, this is a sharp contrast as we read verse 3, 4, and 5. I'd like for you to notice that each of these verses has either the word not or no in them. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanliness, or uncleanness, there's a lot of uncleanness that leads up to fornication, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Paul is talking to a congregation of people. He says, I want to tell you what the expectation that God has of Christians. Fornication should never be named once among you. I want to be bold for a minute. Our eldership, our parents, the men and women of this congregation, we have to decide if we're going to be God's people. And if we're going to be God's people, we should be able to look across God's family and say, no one here will practice fornication and the church look the other way. In God's plan, God says, I don't want it to be named once among you. Now, we're not perfect. So here's where the grace of God is tremendous. And here's where the need to repent is of absolute necessity. I'd like for you to drop back to 1 Corinthians. Just a moment ago, we we're in the sixth chapter. I want you to drop back a few verses earlier. In 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul went into Corinth as a very worldly city, it would be very safe, I assume, both scholars would agree, safe to assume that fornication would have been rampant in that city. But when they became Christians, things had to change. I'd like for you to read with me in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 9. I'd like you to know and notice the straightforwardness of the warning here. Do you not know, this is 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Notice how many times the plea is don't be deceived when these sins are listed because it's easy for us to believe the lies of Satan in the world. Do not be deceived. The first on the list is usually fornication. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so then we say, is there any hope for us? Absolutely. Look at 11. And such were, past tense, such were some of you. Imagine, here's a world. And here's the Lord's people meeting at Corinth. And he's talking to the people that at one time were in the world. And he says, such were some of you. You're not now. I knew you when you were there. I saw you come to the Lord. I saw you repent. I saw you turn from your ways. What a beautiful thought. What did they do? Notice the rest of 11. They were washed, no doubt, speaking of the waters of baptism and the, the shedding of sins that God gives us there. Look, but you were sanctified. Sanctified is set apart for a service. Lord, here's my body. I'll offer my body in your service. But you were justified now because of God's Christ righteousness being brought upon us. Now we can stand not answering for the sins that we one time committed because they have been forgiven. Now we stand and we have the righteousness of Christ. Someone says, but I thought you were a fornicator. Oh, no, no. That's what I used to be. I've repented of that. I don't live that life of fornication anymore. And it's tough for us because we're in a world that most people at school, at work, and neighbors wouldn't really bat an eye at it. But we have to remember, we're not living for the world. We're living for the one who wants to wash us, sanctify us, and justify us. And so we move back just to close with that verse and the lesson is yours. Let's just read the rest. Remember we said there was a negative in each one. The very next verse, and I'm back in Ephesians 5, so in verse 3, I want to challenge you to realize it shouldn't be named among us. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. And most think that probably these are tied in especially with language that would be connected to the uncleanness and the sexual immorality, nor coarse jesting. Why? They are not fitting. In other words, it's the, it's the words for appropriate. It's not right. It doesn't belong in Christ's kingdom, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, and it's interesting how idolatry is so often tied into these lists close to the sexual sins, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What have we learned today? Number one, fornication is a sin against our very own body. Number two, the body is to be sacrificed to God, a living sacrifice. Number three, fornicators have been forgiven by the thousands. Throughout the ages, you take any lifestyle and any sin, and our Lord and our Savior has been able to redeem every one of them that wants to come to Him. How great is our God. We can make our mistakes and God will forgive us. But do not confuse that with the decision to continually live and our mistakes. 
And so tonight, we're thinking about souls all year. This month, we're thinking about embattled souls. We're in a cultural war. The world will lie to us every time. We tried our best to study only the truth today. And I hope that every one of us will take and present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, you're ready to repent and be restored, if we can help you, we're not perfect people, but we really are trying to live sanctified lives. We really are striving to have the righteousness and the grace of God in our lives. And if in our feeble way we can